0: Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for redeeming our souls from the pit of emptiness. Thank you that you've turned our blackened branches into the springtime green of new life. We thank you that that life is eternal, that we have nothing but the brightest of futures. And even though the valley right now seems a little bit dark and scary, um, we put our hope in you. We trust in you because you are our source of life. You have promised to carry us through the roughest times, the greatest difficulties, the most embarrassing situations, the most painful problems that come our way, and so we're going to trust you. Help us to open our hearts up to your word today, Father. Um, Please help us to ignore the preacher and to listen to the Spirit. And we pray that uh, truth will ring out as we open your word, and we pray that our lives would not only hear it, but be doers of it. We thank you that you bless those who do your word, and so we look forward to your blessing as you motivate us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Galatians chapter 4, and this, I, see, when I I said to myself, when I grow up, I want to be just like Frank. Frank. And Frank always has this outline that is so long that no human person could ever possibly work their way through it. So what I said is, I'm going to do the inhuman today, the impossible. And I would have put my Superman cape on, but Benson took it with him to South Carolina. So anyway, (laughs) here's our outline, and we will try to work our way through it. I'm not going to leave it up there long because... It really doesn't matter. You should have a copy of it in your bulletin. The one thing I'd ask you to do as we start this quick review is jot down the references of the key verses. Now, I want you to understand that it was not a great theologian who said these are the key verses. It wasn't even a a, a middling Bible scholar. It was me, okay? But these are the verses that jump out to me in the... No, in the passage <laughs> sorry. in the passages that we have already examined, and so i'd like to run through them quickly and see if we can put together a little path that we can follow in order to bring us to uh, some understanding of what chapter Four is all about. Now, as I understand it, chapters one, two, three, and four are the theory chapters are the are the um, Introductory chapter. And when you get to five and six, all of a sudden he starts saying, Okay, now watch this. You do this. This is what I want. This is the practical application, and so on. So I understand we're still in the theoretical part of it. But it's very important that we get it. So let's quickly review. In chapter one, hello. It's my fault. In chapter one and verse four, Paul writes, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes when I read that little section, all glory to, it sounds like Paul is just saying something that you say at the end of a prayer. But the problem was that the Galatians were not giving the glory to God for their eternal life. They were doing things that took the glory away from God and put it on man. And so I think Paul is saying here, uh uh-uh, remember, the glory has to go to God. And, and this is something that we're to do forever and ever. This is our role. This is our responsibility. So even the grace that was extended to us to bring us salvation must result in glory to God. Now, if I took that long on every one of these verses, we'd be here till Tuesday. So I'm going to move a little more quickly, if possible. Verse uh, verse 12, Paul says, I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 19, he says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. I don't know what's doing that. I'm very sorry. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly, in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not, verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Do you get that? Back to to verse 1, all glory has to go to God. Why? Because he's done all the work. If you try and add anything to it, you take glory away from God. In fact, this verse says you make God's grace meaningless. What does that mean? Christ didn't need to die if you can save yourself. Keeping the law makes grace meaningless. Huge concept. Chapter 3, you received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. It was not by works, as Paul writes to the church in Ephesians. Chapter 3, verse 6, in the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Now, keep Abraham in mind because he's going to keep coming up and coming up and coming up. Why? Because God is using him as an example of what he's trying to communicate. Moses is the other half of that equation. You have Abraham and you have Moses. We'll get to that, but hang on to those names. Chapter 3, verse 9. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. If it's all about faith, then why in the world did he ever give the law? So the question follows, what was the purpose of the law? Verse 19, why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. What child? What child is this? Sorry. What child is this? What's the child that was promised? Well, remember where we started? Chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. I'm sorry. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 24. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Something dramatic has changed. Now, that should bring us up to chapter 4, verse 1. And I can see you're all just excited and wanting to get to the next verse. So, I'm going to summarize. The Judaizers, that is, these false teachers that had come to attack the church, had rejected both the message of salvation and the messenger got that Paul was an apostle taught directly by the holy spirit given that responsibility to lead god's people Paul was was an important person in the growth of young christians Do you have anybody that's important in your life as far as your growth is concerned? I remember several men back over the years, a guy named Bob Wilson was tremendously instrumental in my life. Uh, Paul Sapp, Dave Glock, they go on and on. There's people who influence us, and God gives them to us so that we we can learn from them. Well, Paul was one of those people. And think what it would have been like if I had been really gaining a lot of, of information and help and understanding from, you seem to know Dave Glock, how do you know, I don't get you. yeah, from Dave Glock, and then somebody came in and said, Dave Glock, are you kidding me, he's a, he's a false teacher, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he makes up stuff all the time. And could actually you know, keep talking and whispering in your ear to the point where you went to class the next day and you got your notebook. You do take notes at Emmaus, some of you. That's amazing. Okay, Steve, where's Steve? Oh, okay, I was going to have him take a lesson about taking notes. But anyway, never mind. Where was I? Oh, yes, oh, yes. Paul was an important cog in the whole development and they were trying to undercut him. Worse than that, they were trying to undercut the message that God Himself had given to the Apostle Paul and to the other apostles for us. And they were trying to provide something new. In fact, they claimed that the Apostle Paul tricked the Galatians by, by giving this kind of easy believism. Have you ever heard that expression before? Easy believism? Well, you don't have to do anything, all you have to do is believe. That's kind of what the Bible teaches. But, you know, easy believism. And they suggested that that puts aside all need to live under the Old Testament law. I think their argument was, well, look, God has given us the Old Testament. He gave us his chosen people as those who would be those that bring the blessing into our lives. The stuff that they do must be important. So follow it. Make sure you do it. And Paul is suggesting that that's wrong. He says, in fact, what these people are saying, all you need to do is follow a few ritual works and you have done all you need for salvation. Now, these aren't the easiest things in the world, okay? Like, one of them is circumcision, all right? Cutting of the flesh, There's a portion in the Old Testament where some of the men were trying to get revenge on another group of men. Remember that story? And they said, well, tell you what, we'll cut you some slack. All you, that was the bad. <laughs> we'll, give, we'll give you a break. All you have to do is to be circumcised. Well, they knew they were in trouble, so they said, well, okay, we'll do that. Well, can you imagine? Oh, boy, what a day that must have been. And two days later when all of them are going, oh, I don't want to, you know, I'm getting pretty graphic here. But they come in with their, with their weapons and, and they wipe out the whole bunch of them, okay? So it is not a pleasant little thing is what I'm trying to say. This is no small deal, all right? So there is some serious stuff to what these Judaizers were teaching okay, circumcision, then remember you have to observe certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, all right? In essence, what they were saying is there's things you don't handle. There's things you don't taste. There's things you don't touch. And if you do these things, then you're all set. Now, at first glance, that sounds terrible, why do I have to do all those? But you know what? That's exactly what the flesh, what our human nature loves. Just give me something to do. Okay? Don't make me depend on somebody else. Give me a task. Give me a job. Give me an assignment so that when I'm all done, I can say, oh, oh did I do that well. Now I have eternal life. But the result according to what we read in Galatians, is that this produces an attitude that says, you can go back to your old way of life. In other words, we'll give you the best of both worlds. We'll give you eternal life in the future by doing all these works. Then you can go and sin all you want, get a forgiveness by saying the appropriate words or doing the appropriate actions or giving the current amount of money. Okay, and we'll repeat that. And then you can go out and just do whatever you want. Follow the world. Get it? Sin on Monday, sin on Tuesday, sin on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday, go ahead, but Saturday afternoon, make sure you stop in, get your sins confessed, and then you're forgiven the next day. Wow. That's pretty cool. Now, they weren't the only ones that were saying this kind of thing. They were also other Christians who were struggling with this same thing. Paul writes in Romans 6, can anybody tell me, quote for me, Romans 6, 1? Romans 6, 1, it starts, shall I continue? Shall I continue in sin so that God can keep pouring out? That sounds like a plan, doesn't it? God loves to extend his grace, so I'm going to give God every opportunity to be gracious to me. I'm just going to sin like a machine. And then God can be more and more gracious. But what does Paul say about that? What's the next phrase, Keith? Certainly not. Certainly not. Some translations say, God forbid. That's not the way we live the Christian life. The outcome of a works mentality is this self-forgiveness so that I can do whatever I want, pay a nickel at the end of the week, and then be ready for, the, for eternal life. That's what the flesh wants. That's what the world wants. Um, let me take a sneak peek into chapter 5. Mark, will you forgive me if I sneak into chapter 5? It'll be a lot less work for you next week. Okay, all right. All right, look at this. Here's what Paul says about this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Here's what'll come. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealously, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Talk to any of your friends in the world And it'll take a while, but they will finally conclude that this is the way to live. Am I wrong? Isn't that what weekends are all about? You struggle through Monday through Wednesday, and then you start partying on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Maybe your friends are a little nicer than mine, but that's my friends. And this is the result Once again, these false teachers were saying, after you've done these things, cut a little flesh, say a few words, pay a little cash. Everything's fine. Paul says, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right? There's no eternal life when this is your lifestyle. In fact, those who are true believers, if you continue in this kind of sin, God will bring punishment. He will bring discipline. Paul says he will even bring your life to an abrupt end because he will not put up with these kinds of things. No, no, not for the true believer in Jesus. One of the scary things is that if these things are a person's way of life, it's a good indicator that they need to get saved. Okay? Now, am I saying that I have never had an evil or uh, never been a part of envy? Am I saying that? So, what's wrong here? You have to live a perfect life with no envy, otherwise you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that what it's saying? Get this, and I think... 1 John supports this. Anyone living that sort of life, if this is your lifestyle, will you fall into incidental sin? I'm afraid you will. I do. You know, one of the toughest ones for me is idolatry. Because Colossians says, covetousness is Idolatry. I, I see you drive by in your your big Mercedes, you know, and I go, oh! Idolatry. I, I hear uh, Neil play the guitar. Where was the electric guitar today, Neil? Oh, all right. <laughs> 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 well, I kind of missed that. <laughs> but anyway, never mind. Um, again, what was I talking about? Huh? Idolatry, yes. I covet his ability to play the guitar. What is that? It's idolatry. Ooh. Hadn't thought of it that way. Ladies, how many of you ever walked through Ulta? <laughs> huh? Huh? Struck a nerve, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Covetousness. Anyway, you know, we'll eliminate the wild parties because we're a little more holy than the rest, right? And and some of these other things. Sorcery, uh, uh, not going there, right? But if the sort of life that I have includes some of these things... I'm not headed for heaven. I'm headed somewhere else. If I slip into these things incidentally, occasionally, from time to time, if I have a weakness in these things, what's the what's the the remedy for that? If I'm a true believer in Jesus, help me. First John one nine. Praise God. That's our remedy. You ever get to the point where you say, oh. I confessed yesterday, I confessed today, I'll probably confess the same thing tomorrow, I'm going to give up. You ever feel that way? That's from the flesh, okay? Wow, I wish there was just some way that I could do all those things and then give extra five bucks on Sunday morning. Wow, let's make a plan. That's what they did. That's what these false teachers were doing. All right? Paul says, uh-uh you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So now we move into chapter 4. And here we find Paul introduce this enormously powerful trans, a, a transition, a major change in the way things are done. He Just a minute, I've got to get my electronic Bible going here. I should have had it out. You want to add so and so to your list? Uh, Let's see, Bible. Okay. Forgive me. This is this is bad. Okay. Paul says. I've been challenging this law thing and this grace thing. I want to give you a little a little illustration of what it was like before you trusted Christ. You were as good as a slave. I'm sorry, you were a slave to sin. And then you trusted Christ as your Savior. And something dramatic happened. An enormous change took place. What was it like before? Well, for those who were keeping the law, the Jewish people, it was kind of like they were little children who had this promised inheritance But they couldn't touch it because dad had put it in a trust saying when they're 21, we'll release the funds. And so all they could do then was to just be under the guardianship, the protection of another fellow slave. When they became 21, they were then the slave owners. They were then in charge of the inheritance. But until that time, they were put in this position of guardianship. And Paul says, that's the way the Jewish system, the law, was designed to work. And what it would do would be to point out, uh-uh, that's sin. And if they start heading in a direction, no, don't do that, that's sin. And there was always somebody there saying, no, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. But there was a promise. And Abraham received that promise. Something wonderful is coming that will release you from your guardianship and allow you to become a full-fledged adult. You now are under the protection, the keeping of the law. But this miracle is going to take place and God is going to redeem your soul from the pit of emptiness. And he's going to do it in such a way that all the effort, all the responsibility is going to be not on you, but on him. Now, is there anyone in the audience who can tell me the story of the gospel. Well, let me say it this way. Is there anybody who doesn't know the story of the gospel? The gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Christ became sin for us, says 2 Corinthians 5 so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. That's the miracle of of the gospel. That's that's this wonderful message that was coming for the Jewish people. And the beautiful thing is, God opened it up to all the rest of the world. In fact, he told Abraham, through you, all the world will be blessed. I'm going to send the child of promise. And when he arrives, the blessing will be extended to all of you. When that blessing comes, however, understand this. It will not be based on what you do or who you are. It will all be based on who he is and what he has done. And if you slip from understanding that or move away from understanding that, you're going to take away from the grace of God. You're going to make the grace of God meaningless and that will remove the glory from God. That was Satan's role, to remove the glory from God, to take it upon himself. That's pretty harsh. I fulfill the same work as Satan if I reject the grace of God and try and do it by works? I think that's implied. So he says in verses 1 through 11, this major change is going to release you from being under bondage to the law and free you through the power of God's grace. Why in the world would you go back to the bondage of the law? Isn't that about what he says in in the last few verses there, 10 and 11? Why would you do such a thing? Well, I'll tell you why a person would do such a thing. Because it's easy for the flesh to, to want to do it ourselves and not need God. And we need God. We can't do it without Him. And so we have in that first section this transition from the law to grace. Then in the next section, Paul reminds them that not only have these people undermined the message of the gospel of grace, They have undermined his relationship to them. They're the ones that said Dave Glock is a false teacher. Dave Glock is a liar. Dave Glock does this and Dave Glock does that. Only they use Paul. And they tried to strip away the God-given authority that Paul had in their lives. And Paul says, hey... Don't you remember how it used to be? When I first was with you, you, man, you love me. You, you welcome me and you embrace me. And In fact, you, you would have plucked out your eyeball for me. That's the kind of love you have. You've heard the expression, he'd give his right arm for somebody. Well, here it was his right eye. And in, in reality, in our culture, we know that people actually do give kidneys and liver parts and, and stuff like that for someone else. Yeah, we, that's how much I would care about that person. Put myself in jeopardy for them. And then Paul says, well, what's changed? Why do you now disdain what I have to say? Why do you now reject the teaching?" That I've been giving you. He says, I'm heartbroken. I'm crushed. I, I I feel as though I were a a mom watching her kid scream and yell at her and walk away in rejection. Why is it like that? I'm praying for you. I want you to return. I want Christ to be fully developed in your lives. And you're undermining that, that work by your own efforts. Well, then finally, he wraps up chapter 4 by making this comparison. Remember, Abraham had two wives? One was the wife of promise. What was her name, everybody? Sarah. Oh, thank you. Who's this? Was that you, sir? You gotta be a little quicker. Okay, I'll give you another chance. Who? <laughs> <laughs> who was the wife of the flesh? Who? Hagar. Jenny. <laughs> Six points for Jenny. Okay. Yeah, Sarah on one hand, Hagar on the other. All right. One was the wife of promise. The other was the wife of works. What do you mean by works? Sarah said, you know what? This faith thing has taken way too long. If we're going to have this wonderful child that God talks about, we've got to get on with it. And so she said, um, here's the plan. Take my maidservant, have relationships with her, she'll get pregnant, and there will be the child. Brilliant! Hagar! This is this is the answer. What does God say? No, man. No, you blew it. And all through the rest of, of uh, Ishmael's life and Hagar's life, there was tension and, and fighting and even evil and nastiness. So much so that there came a time when Sarah said. That's it. Get him out of here. Now, how does that sound? A little harsh? A little nasty? But it was the only way. And so Abraham sent Hagar and her son away. Now, there has continued to be for 4,000 years unrest and tension and evil between the Jewish people, the offspring of Isaac, and the other population, I I believe it would be the Arab peoples, who are the offspring of Ishmael. And we're not going to solve that problem. It's only one person who will solve that problem. The same one that solved our problem of sin and brought salvation and eternal life to us. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to bring peace back to the earth. And that's our hope. That's our trust. That's where we put our confidence. But the last part of the verse says the only solution, the last part of the chapter, I'm sorry, was the only solution for the Galatian church to cast out these false, false teachers just as Sarah insisted that Abraham cast out Hagar and Ishmael. Well, I need to bring this to a conclusion. Now, don't get excited, okay? Conclusions could be two minutes. They could be 15 minutes, okay? So don't get too excited. You think it's over? Uh Uh-uh, all right. Here it is. Grace is God's way. And And I've pulled some quotes from... Bob Diefenbauer, he's a, a wonderful Bible teacher down in Dallas. Um, and uh, here's some of the things that he has put forward. It's all about grace. It's God's way. First thing he says is grace is the message and the means of salvation. And, and you may want to jot down Galatians 1.15. Galatians 1.15. I also would encourage you to put down verse 4. Galatians 1, verse 4. It's grace. That's the message, and that's the means of salvation, not works, okay? Grace is the means of the Christian sanctification. Sanctification means what? Set apart. What? Set apart. Jenny, you're up to 12 points. Oh, okay. All right. Who's keeping score anyway? (laughs) You guys. All right. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? He loved me. He gave himself for me. He poured out his grace upon me. That's how you grow. That's how you become set apart. Not by doing works. Grace is the motive and the means for the christians service ephesians 2:10 says god has ordained good works for us he's laid them out for us and we through god's grace perform these works our service you can also look at chapter 2 of galatians verse 9 for uh, an additional support of that concept the grace of God in the gospel is the standard for all teaching and conduct. And we go back to chapter 1, and that's what he said in verses 6 through 9. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. If you need some idea of what the standard is, it's God's grace. And all our teaching, all our uh, way of life, our conduct, as we have up there, Flows out of an understanding of God's grace. Here's another one that is very important for our day. Grace obliterates distinctions of superiority. I am male. I am superior. Wrong? Absolutely wrong. Okay? Grace doesn't allow for that kind of mentality. I am white. You are black. I am superior. Ungodly. Sin. And it's God's grace that brings us together. I am a free man. You are a slave. I am superior. Absolutely false because God's grace is extended to us in such a way that we are one in Christ, that there is an equal standing for everyone at the throne of grace. There's distinction in role. Let me not get too far off the line here. God has given us different roles so that if you're an elder in the local church, yes, you do have some authoritative position and you have things that you need to uh, challenge people about. If you're a father or a mother, you have a position of authority in a person. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the value of a person. And grace puts us on the same playing field, equal before God. Wonderful thing. And then finally, grace is not just a perspective on the law, but it's a perspective on life. This is the way to live. Live in grace. Okay? Let's finish with this. What's the result? Well, we go back to chapter 2, verse 20, and remind you of that verse. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. Let's break it down. Crucified. He died. And when he died, I died. That was my death. There's no other way for the payment of sin except for the shedding of blood, that except for the the death of an innocent party. That's the only way sin can be paid. And the innocent party was my Savior, the Lord Jesus. And He became my substitute so that I did not have to suffer eternal punishment. He did. In those three hours of darkness on the cross. Paul goes on to say Christ lives in me, I trust Christ alone. For my eternal life. This is my salvation. I'm not going to go back. To attempting to please this person. And attempting to please that person. And follow this rule. And do this ceremony. I'm not going to do that stuff. Because it's Christ who lives in me. I trust him alone. For my eternal life. He goes on to say. I live in this earthly body. By trusting in the son of God. Here is faith for living. Here is the power for living. And so when we struggle with these sins that occasionally come our way, we go back to the person on whom we depend. And we say, we cry out to him, I need your grace. Empower me to overcome these evil thoughts, to overcome this temptation. You be my strength. Paul says, when I'm weak, that's when I'm really strong because Christ can unleash His strength into my life. If I'm the one that's sitting there trying to do it and I'm going to make sure that I don't take help from anybody else, then God is not going to be able to... Well, I'm not saying not able, but God is not willing to release His strength into my life until I humbly submit to Him and say, it's only your strength. That will allow me to accomplish victory over evil. Incredible works for God. Miraculous stuff only through the grace of God. And then we ask the question, well, why? Why would He give Himself for me? And Paul says, He loved me. He loved me. And gave himself for me. And so I think the conclusion of all this is this theory that we've tried to put together in chapters 1 through 4 is that there is a, a new kind of law. Oh, bad word. But I think you understand what I'm talking about. Okay? It boils down to this Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who am I quoting? Who's that a quote from? Oh, Jesus. All right. Well, then it's... Oh, that's a pretty good source. Here's the fulfillment of the law. Love the Lord your God. Love one another. Now, it's my hope that in the next couple of months... Frank, how far are we out from the Ten Commandments? Two months? Um, Almost. No, one month. Month? Okay. We're going to do... Okay, <laughs> we're going to do a fantastic study of, of the Ten Commandments, and that sounds so boring, doesn't it? Thou shalt not stale. How can you make anything exciting out of that? It's going to be wonderful. And we're going to see that all of the Ten Commandments, as Jesus said, pour into loving God and loving one another. And it's an exciting way to live. How many of you ever fall in love? Have you ever fallen in love? Raise your hand, please. Had boy, Frank. I was hoping you'd get your hand up there. Mark, I don't see your hand. Oh, thank you very much. You don't expect that from Mark, but it's there. It's there. <laughs> Being in love is a wonderful way to live. It's a wonderful way to live. And Jesus said, I died for you because I loved you. And now I want you to experience this new, wonderful life of being in love with God. And from that will flow a love for one another, and you will be incredibly blessed. And you know what? The rest of the world is going to go, wow, look how they love each other. And what happened in Acts when people recognized that? Thousands got saved. People started coming to Christ in droves. We pray about Dubuque. We're concerned for Dubuque in this local church. And what they need to see is us loving God in such a powerful, wonderful way that it transforms our lives and lets us love one another. And when we love one another, we are the visible expression of what God is all about. And people say, I need some of that in my life. And it attracts them to our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now, it's been a lot of theory, but I think there's some practical application in these last few minutes. And I'm asking you to contemplate, throw out all the human junk that's come out of my mouth, throw it away, and listen to God's Holy Spirit. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.